With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Welcome to another episode of Winging It in Motown Radio. Uh, I'm your host for tonight, Peter, and joining me tonight uh, are two of our fantastic uh, writers uh, for Winging It in Motown. Uh, first, we have Mike Bremer. Mike, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing great. How are you doing? I'm doing fantastic. And we also have JJ. How are you doing? Uh, it's the greatest night ever. It is. It is. It really is. It, it, it's kind of kind of weird how um, you know because we're not on like a like a perfect schedule. Of like you know every week or two weeks or something like that. It's kind of weird how like the the each each next greatest night ever is like on a, a rotating schedule. Um, all right, so it's been a little while since we recorded. Um, the last time we recorded was after the draft, and so since then uh, a bunch of stuffs happened. So we're gonna we're gonna do some housekeeping on some some kind of older news that. We've kind of processed at this point, but since we haven't talked about it on the podcast, it makes sense to, to talk about it. All right. So um, first, uh, on July 1st, we had uh, free agency and, you know, the big news was John Tavares going to Toronto, but he didn't come to our team. So who cares? Um, and we have uh, we, we I, I want to say resigned, although it's not technically resigned, but we brought back uh, Thomas Vanek on a one year deal. Uh, and then we brought back Mike Green uh, for two. So, oh, and I'm sorry, we also added uh, Jonathan Bernier on a three-year contract um, at, I think, roughly about $3 million a year, give or take. I think it was $3 million. So, um, Mike, so what did you think of those signings? I know at this point we've kind of had a while to process them, but you know, what did you think about those? Um, I like the Bernier signing. I, I don't have any sort of issue with it. I think that is actually a very, a very smart signing by Holland. Um, and, you know, with uh, Mike Green, Thomas Vanek, that's kind of, it reminds me a little bit of what, with the Nielsen signing a couple summers ago, where it's like Holland's, uh, you know, covering his bases um, because there's a lot of players that could push for spots like uh, Sedina and um, Rasmussen and, and Hronach and so on. Um and so Holland's trying to cover his bases to make sure that they don't pan out. And I think they are Vanek and green, you know, have roles on this team and fit in. Even if, uh, even if those players do make the roster on the opening night. Um, so I don't know. I, there was a lot of like kind of angry reaction, you know, that like, ah, oh, once again, like the veterans are being favored and, you know, Holland made us a very old team, um, but uh, you know, I, I I didn't have like such a, a knee jerk reaction to it um, personally. As Thomas Vanek was a lot of fun to watch last time he was here, um, you know, and he keeps bringing back draft picks for whichever team signs him in the off season. So <laughs> I'm 
I'm, uh, you know, I'm totally okay with that. We didn't give up any assets, and he's a he's a good mentor to uh, Andreas Athanasiu, who, um, you know, a problem child is is far too strong of a way to describe him. But, um, you know, Athanasiu seemingly needs more uh, would benefit more from having a mentor player brought on the team than, uh, say, Larkin or, or Mantha. Yeah, I, th- I think I think that makes a lot of sense. I definitely like I definitely like the Bernier signing. I think there's very I think the downside is pretty low, um, and I think that there is definitely a potential upside. I remember at the time I did a little research, and he didn't have the greatest season last year. Although he did down the stretch, he played really well down the stretch. He didn't have the greatest season to overall last year, um, but the year before, I mean, he was he was better than Jimmy Howard. And if we remembered, you know, Jimmy Howard play, played pretty well for us when he wasn't hurt. Uh, so I, you know, I, I think that makes a lot of sense, uh, because we have two or not two, well, we have, um, you know, a few goalies potentially in the pipeline, but they're, you know, nobody's really going to be pushing for a spot in the next probably two seasons. So it makes sense to, you know, kind of have some kind of stability, um, you know, especially with Howard being injured seemingly every year for, for a while. So, um, yeah, so so JJ, what uh, what were your thoughts on the uh, the three signings? Uh, in order of uh, most favorite to least, the the Bernier deal is way up there. And I'm going to apologize in advance if I accidentally call him Steve because for <laughs> some reason I just cannot stop. Like every time I do a, a search for him, I'm like always I type in Steve Bernier first, and like no, we signed Jonathan, not the forward. <laughs> yeah. Um. I really like that deal. It's like, I think it's the perfect length. It sets us up for a lot of different, uh, a lot of different options. It doesn't handcuff us into anything. It is just, uh, if Bernier is able to get back to the concept of like, he's starter caliber, then he's at least a trade chip. If he's serviceable, then he'll be there to kind of make up for maybe the loss of Jimmy Howard or the growth of one of the, the kids that we've been trying to develop in goal for the last few years. Um, I mean, worst case scenario is he sucks and he helps us with uh, getting a lottery pick. So hooray. (laughs) And it's a $3 million cap hit, which is basically nothing is the going rate for essentially what is a backup goalie who, may end up being forced into the starter role on a bad team. So I, I really like that deal. Uh, the Vanek deal is, you know, that's, that's one I, I could have like taken or, le- or left. Um, I, but I'm more glad that they signed him than, than upset about it really. Um, because like I said, I think he's a really good mentor for, for Athens CU. I think that he makes the team, more enjoyable to watch. Uh, he's on a deal that is tradable. He should be like kind of a, a standard for the kids that apparently the, the kids that he's pushing out of the lineup, he should be a stand. Like he's still a better NHLer than they are. Um, obviously the, the, 
you don't expect that that's going to be the case for like Zadina for that long. But as of right now, he's a great kind of like, look, this is the, the pedigree. This is what we want you to be able to live up to. Um, he should fetch a return. And when he fetches a return for future assets, that will also open up a space. Hmm. Uh, for a kid who's been, you know, for whichever kid has been fighting for, for that recognition for the, to that point of the year, it's, I, I think that that, that makes perfect sense. Green, I didn't really want him back, but I'm not broken up about it. Like, I, I, yeah, I get it. Like we don't have space for like the all kids defense, like that a lot of people would really prefer to see. But we also have essentially like one of the, I, I think we may have the oldest defensive core in the league right now. <laughs> We're definitely close, and yeah. I think the kids are going to get chances just between Cronwall, Green, Daly, like Erickson. These guys are going to spend time on, on IR. Like, I don't know how many healthy games you're expecting out of all these guys that are kind of in the way, but based on all that, and that's the same thing with, with the Vanek signing, too. It's like, I do want to see more kids in the lineup. I don't want to see all kids in the lineup, and I don't want to see it to where, like, we are literally relying on, uh, I don't know, calling up Dylan McElrath. Hmm because we've basically run out of people due to the injury problems. So there, there's a limit to how much of the, the youth and, and depth I want to end up testing out anyway. Like I want Ronick and Chalowski and sorry, RV and Hicketts uh, and all of them to get, to get a decent shot. But I also like, I want them to, to steal it too. So, so I uh, agree. Oh, sorry. Paid too much. And he's, he's paid, more than I wanted him to be, and obviously the the no trade clause that Ken Holland basically has to give out to everybody at this point is just annoying. But it's not, uh, it's not angering. Yeah. Well, especially because it's going to expire before the trade deadline next season. So, if the plan is you know to have him around, you know to. Um, you know, you know, to obviously, you know, be an NHL defenseman for the team, but then also, you know, maybe kind of like with Vanek, you know, to help out some of the younger players as they come into the league this season. And then next season, you know, be, try to f- flip him at the deadline. Obviously, we saw what happened this year. I mean, that was kind of it, it was kind of a lot of forces all coming together at once. Like, I think the injury definitely had something to do with it. Um, and I, th- I think it was had a fairly substantial part of the reason why we couldn't really get anything for him. But um, it's funny as you were talking, I, I looked up and um, yeah, I think we probably are. We we got to be way up there with the the oldest average NHL uh, defense core at this point. Um, and then the other thing is, I'm looking at cap friendly, and other than Nick Jensen, everybody signed has some form of a no trade clause. <laughs> um, Oh yeah, so JJ, here's a follow up question, and 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 Mike, you can you know take this after JJ too, because um, okay. because I think it's a really good point. I mean, I'm I've been somebody, 
who had like my standard kind of response to this for a while has been if we have a player who's NHL ready, I really want them to be in the NHL. However, I, I will obviously admit that that's a little too simplistic. Um, Cause like you said, I, th- I, I do agree that there's a limit to, you know, you don't want a team of six brand new rookie NHL defensemen out there. So JJ, what do you, th- what do you think the limit is? Like, do you think like, would you be okay with two? Would you be okay with three? Like, 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 like where's the cutoff for you? Or, or and, and also like, would it depend on who they are? I think three would be decently like three every single night would be decently risky. Uh, I would like to uh, have three and essentially platoon them in two spots. Mm. Um, the better performing one on the, the second pair with the opportunity to um, essentially be playing consistently on the, on the top pair by Christmas. Okay. Uh, yeah. Uh, Mike, what do you think? Uh, JJ kind of took the words out of my mouth. That's uh, more more or less how I feel about it. Uh, I'd be comfortable with three, but I wouldn't want any more, you know, more than two of them in a single game unless, you know, something bad happened. Um, but yeah, and then, you know, platooning them over those spots. Um, and it would kind of depend too. Um, yeah, I'm, I can't... I'm blanking on like any prospects that we'd have in our system right now, but uh, let's say we had like a Brian Lashoff type of prospect that could just kind of sit as a seventh, uh, um, you, you know, as a seventh defenseman and get spot treatment um, in the NHL. Um, that'd be a lot more. Um, I'd be a lot more amenable to that idea. Um, with having three defensemen, three rookie defensemen, rather than, you know, like having Hicketts, Hronick, and uh, Chalowski all playing this year, but one of them sitting in the, you know, I don't want uh, any of those guys to, like, not get minutes at all, obviously. So. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, yeah, honestly, my biggest problem with the the concept of how much it makes sense to platoon three kids, like, Let's just say uh, Hicketts, Chalowski, and Hronik is like as one of them is platooning because the the very nature of that requires you to sit one of those kids like for reasons that are maybe imperfect, but like every time that happens, like every time one of those kids gets switched out, you know the comments are going to be all about oh a fucking DeKaiser every night out there, and he's playing the. Obviously playing the top pair where another kid is like, okay, we're trying to like get him used to the NHL and he is significantly more sheltered and there is a lot of different contexts. But yeah, that's, that is simultaneously what I want and what I'm expecting and it will annoy me, but it's just something I'll have to get over. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Uh, the other thing is like while you while you were talking and, and I know this is something that we talked about before on the show, but I think it's always always a good thing to point out is that when you know when we're looking at cat friendly and we're we're looking at our the age of our defensemen, et cetera, et cetera, is that after 2019-2020, so so after this season and one more, the only defenseman currently under contract who we're still gonna have is gonna be the Kaiser. So Obviously, you know, so it, it doesn't have to be that we get 
everybody into the lineup this year, there's going to be opportunity. Um, and I think, I think actually after this coming off season, I think it's going to be, or, well, after this season, I think it's going to be really interesting to see what Ken Holland does in terms of, does he replace, you know, like, like, you know, I, I think it's probably likely that this is Nicholas Cronwall's last year. Is he going to replace him with, uh, you know, like a veteran on a one-year deal or something like that as kind of like a placeholder? Or by then, will a couple of the kids have kind of solidified their place and kind of shown that they belong? And then we get another one or two kids in the lineup. So I think it's going to be interesting. Obviously, this this off, you know, every offseason is important. But I think um, next offseason, I think, is going to be a pretty good indicator of, like, kind of how we're going to how we're going to approach this going forward. And I think it's going to be going to be pretty interesting to see. Um, so uh, moving on really quick, we have um, kind of a related topic of what to expect. And this is something that has definitely been a, uh, a topic of quite uh, contentiousness on our, on our, uh, in our comment section. Um, so, a couple of days ago, uh, head coach Jeff Blaschel, um, he said that the kids are going to be favored in ties over veterans. And people have kind of talked about the, uh, you know, they've tried to parse the semantics of it. But um, basically, here's his quote. So just in case if you're listening to this and you haven't read this. Um, so uh, Helene asked him, is there a minimum number of prospects that you need to integrate on the team for the sake of rebuilding? And so here's what Blaschel said. I don't know that there's a number. I think one of the big keys is that when you are a playoff team on an annual basis, the right move is that when a young player and a veteran player are tied, the tie goes to the veteran. When you're a team that hasn't made the playoffs for two years and a young player and a veteran player are tied, I think now the tie should go to the younger player. And I say that because we need different results, and part of having different results is improving eternally, and that can come with new guys being in spots. Now, obviously, that's not all he said, but that was kind of like the main part of this uh, this topic. Um, so let's see. Uh, so, JJ, I asked you first last time. So, Mike, uh, what, are, what are your thoughts on Blashill's comments here? I think that a lot of people have been interpreting that as, uh, you know, players being either on or off the team. Um I think what that I think more likely translates into is, uh, you know, I think maybe advocators time in the top six, maybe over um, to make space for uh, younger players who are playing as well as him or better. Um, I think, I think he may be referring more to positioning on the roster rather than, um, rather than like the directly contradicting everything that Ken Holland did on, uh, you know, during free agency. Um, so I, I think ultimately what that gets down to is that more young players will be put into positions to succeed rather than, um, or positions with, um, greater responsibility more quickly so that they can kind of, fail and learn a little bit more rather than like, okay, we're bringing it, we're going to have one player, one rookie on like a sheltered third line role. Um, you know, the the wings are going to more actively try to integrate them into the top six and, you know, um, 
top two pairings and so on. Yeah, sure. I, I think that that definitely makes sense. And, and and I do agree that I've seen a lot of people take this as uh, a roster spot as opposed to positioning. And of course, I mean, it could be both. You know, it, it, it makes sense to talk about it um, in 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 both situations. Uh, JJ, what do you think now that we've had a little bit of time the last couple of days to kind of uh, litigate this in the comment section? Yeah, I mean, I agree with Mike. Like, I, I fully expect to start the season uh that there is going to be a like a full-out prospect playing in our top six uh i lean more towards zadina but uh i would not be surprised to see rasmussen playing uh alongside larkin or maybe even zetterberg to to start the year off just just because i think that it'll be i mean there's the the nine game look thing with zadina too but uh, that's that's kind of what I'm pulling away from it is that the, there is going to be a, a real a real chance. The other thing that, that kind of interests me in terms of that is I had always kind of mentally factored in that the concept of the tie goes to the veteran because we'd only we'd always heard it from Mike Babcock. Like I'd always kind of mentally factored in that was kind of a Babcockism mm-hmm. to hear it come out of Blashill this length of time later uh, really kind of drives home the the, the the obvious realization that it's probably a, a Ken Holland thing and it's probably what Ken Holland is, has been telling his coaches in regards to the roster decisions that he's essentially not the lineup decisions, but the roster decisions he's forced on them in terms of which players are even up with the club and available so I think that more importantly to Blashill saying the the tie is going to go to the kids is if that's coming from Ken Holland, that's the more important consideration is, you know, Jeff Blashill is not going to sit uh, Zadina on the sidelines just for no good reason, but he's not going to play him if the guy's in the AHL. He's not going to be able to, so... I think that's more important than than that, and I'm actually willing to give Blashill a, a lot more leeway than I, I think a lot of other fans are. I guess I'm the the resident ap- apologist for Blashill in terms of if he's got a kid and he's not playing that kid uh, kid on his roster, and that kid's not in the lineup. I I guess I'm just gonna have to go with the appeal to authority problem and just say I've. I've got to trust that that he's not playing that kid higher in the lineup for uh, for a good reason. Because I will say, last year, I am happy with the decisions Jeff Blashell made in regards to the development of uh, of some of the the younger guys. So it's it remains a lot to be proven. Still, um, it's, it's just we want to see the team get a lot better and. There's this, like, how quick can the process be? Because he also did say that, like, we can't just try to rush this. It's got to be an actual process. So uh, to to retreat back into the the coach speak, I guess I'll have to trust the process. <laughs> you took the words ah, out of my mouth. Dirty. I was just going to ask you. <laughs> it feels so dirty saying that. I apologize to all of our. 
to all of our readers for basically being <laughs> a shill at this point. But that's, I, I mean, I, I don't really have a choice other than just to like to be angry all the time. And I don't want to do that. It's July. Well, I mean, like, th- this is something that we've definitely talked about before. Like, like you and I have definitely talked about it with each other. I'm pretty sure we talked about it on the podcast at least once, probably more than that. But like, I don't know, the last last few seasons, I've always just kind of wondered, like, how much of each of these people in terms of like coach and general manager, uh, like how how much of their decisions were based on something coming from above them. You know, like we talked about before about like it seems pretty likely that there was a lot of pressure on Ken Holland to try to keep the playoff streak alive. Like it seems like that was the target. Um, so, you know, I wonder how much of the, you know, how, how much of the decisions that he made in the past would he have made the same choices if that wasn't the case? And of course, I mean, that's like the frustrating thing is we'll never know. Um, I mean, I guess unless he writes a book and is really honest about stuff, but, um, like, like I, I, the last couple of years, I've kind of gotten the same feeling with, with Blashill because it seems like for the past, for the past two seasons in preseason and like at the beginning of the year, it seems like he really wants to play a really up-tempo style, get the puck out of the zone, move it up the ice quickly. And then it kind of seems like he realizes that he doesn't have the personnel to really do what he wants to do yet. Um, so I don't know. Like, like I just kind of always wondered, like, if our personnel was a little different, if he would still be doing the same thing that he did. I don't know. Um, so I think I think that's going to be interesting to see. Um, you know, because I mean, you know, he's been here a couple of years, and. Um, <sighs> you would have to imagine that if, if the team doesn't make progress in the next season or two, that he could, you know, he could be on the hot seat. Um, so I guess, I guess it'll be interesting to see what happens with that. Um, so one, uh, actually, uh, since we last recorded, um, there have been, uh, two, two signings that, uh, uh, were definitely really interesting to, uh, to fans out there. We had, um, Andreas Athens, he signed for two years for $3 million uh, annual uh, average value for salary. So uh, two, two years at a cap hit of $3 uh, million. And then we had Anthony Mantha sign also for two years for $3.3. I know with, uh, with Athens, I was kind of surprised it was, I thought it would be a little lower. And then with Mantha, I thought it would be a little higher. Uh, in both cases, I didn't think it was going to be like ridiculously more or less in each case. But um, the interesting thing was after last year with uh, Athens CU's holdout. To me, I was surprised that he was the first one to get a deal and that it was a multi-year deal. Like I really thought for sure he was going to arbitration. I thought that was like a definite. Um, so JJ, what are your, what are your thoughts on those two deals? Do you like one better than the other? Um, and do you think that either one of these deals kind of says anything about the future of either of these players with the team? I mean, uh, you're asking me if Athens is going to get traded, aren't you? <laughs> I don't know what you mean. Uh, yeah, I, I guess I'm kind of surprised how easy the AA deal came through and like how much yeah, I, I guess I am. I am surprised how much it is because I mean, it like Athens is being paid as much as Thomas Vanek. Yeah, and so like for a guy that 
you know, the team, you know, the team doesn't trust and Blashell doesn't trust and Holland doesn't trust. And that's, uh, uh money talks. And that's, yeah. uh, that pay level is the pay level that it's a, a produce, a kid who produces it at his age. Uh, that's, it's it, decently normal, but there's also an, an expectation. And obviously it, you know, shines more light on the concept of how uh, underpaid guys are before they hit UFA because we've seen Athanasiu, like the production that he's capable of putting up, um, you know, at, at the UFA level, he would be making at least Nyquist money. Um, but he's too young to get that, so yeah. whatever. I, I mean, if he gets traded, it's a palatable cap hit for a guy that, that for a kid that's going to produce. If he doesn't get traded, then being utilized in the the way that Jeff Blashill has previously utilized him doesn't make a lot of sense either. It's another one of those like you have certain expectations based on the pay grade, like you know just an applicator that it does it. You can't put that guy in the fourth line. He makes too much money. Um, the Mantha deal, I I love. You, if you can get a guy who ought to be scoring 30 goals for, for 3.3 million, even though it is UFA or RFA years, um, you know, a, a decently sized bridge deal. Cause he won't have arbitration rights at the end of that two years either. Um, you know, it's, it's perhaps kicking the can. Cause if he spends the next two years and he puts up a total of 60 or more goals, it's going to be really hard to keep that next deal down that far, but without the arbitration rights, um, at that point, your biggest concern is, is he going to get an offer sheet? And I still can't take that concern seriously, considering what the NHL has done in regards to running away from offer sheets entirely. So, I don't know, maybe Lou Lamorello is... Or, yeah, the Islanders are pissed off enough at the the Maple Leafs to to break the code and start, you know, offer sheeting RFAs. But I don't think that that's going to be a big concern. So I really like the the Manta deal. Uh, the AA deal makes a lot of sense to me. I I like the promise associated with it. I uh, just hope that either the return for him is good or he uh, more than lives up to it. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, Mike, uh, what, what are your thoughts on the deals? Uh, the Mantha deal is, uh, yeah, I, I expected somewhere between three and four for Mantha and between two and three for, uh, for AA. So um, more or less falling in the in the ballpark of, of my expectations. Um, the Mantha deal, I guess I don't have a whole lot to say on it just because, I mean, I like how he's been playing for the most part. And, you know, there's uh, there's some places in his game that he needs to improve, and I think that the deal the deal shows that, um, or that's that's the feeling that I that I attribute to that three point three million anyway. Um, whereas the um, you know I view the the three million that's attached to AA now as more of an olive branch, maybe um, either an olive branch or. Uh, or perhaps giving him a proper price tag at the trade deadline. Um, you know, we'll see. Like, 
part of what like really uh really colors my perception of the deals is that uh um I'm not super high on Athanasiu. I know that's kind of like, I don't know if that's blasphemy or not, but okay, um, yeah. um, I, I just, I don't know. I'm curious to see how Athanasiu develops um, as a player um, defensively and uh, without the puck. Uh, because, and this is why the, the I think the Vanek signing was a good deal was because, um, because how old is Athanasiu now? 23. So he turned 25 by the time this deal is over. Um, and that's kind of the point that the human body like starts, uh, starts slowing down a little bit. Um, and so I think it's, I think the AA deal is a good deal because it's, it's the length at which he is going to be able to continue exploiting his speed um, over his opponents. Um, and then, you know, after two years, it's kind of like, well, we'll see how, how he develops. And, uh, you know, if he, if he becomes a more dynamic player than he currently is, then, uh, then I think the wings should look at, at re-signing him again. But if not, uh, you know, Hopefully, there's a general manager out there who's certain that uh, um, Anthony C will defy time and that his speed will like maintain into his late 20s, which um, physiologically is unlikely. So, yeah, it's going to be interesting because you know when you have a player who, um, not that he doesn't do other things well. I mean, he's he's obviously very fast, but he's also able to to do things at speed. Um, you know, on yeah. breakaways, you know, th- and that's not the case for everybody. Um, you know, so it's going to be interesting to see, um, you know, there's, there's definitely been players in NHL history that have, um, been able to, well, first of all, have been able to, to maintain a high level of speed for, for longer than we would expect. Um, but then there, you know, there's also been ones that were able to, you know, transform their game once they kind of lost the speed. Like I think for example, um, I'm not really concerned about, you know, when Dylan Larkin loses a step or two because of, you know, the work he's put into other aspects of his game. I think he's going to be able to still produce at a high level at that point, which, you know, is, is, is down the road. Um, OK, yeah. So so uh, speaking of Dylan Larkin, he is the last uh, the last Red Wings RFA to uh, who, who hasn't been signed yet. And um, so. Lately, there's been uh, some reporting from Craig Custance about uh, the the negotiations. It, it sounds like it's not something for the Red Wings to be worried about, uh, like a la Athanasiu last year where, you know, the deal didn't get done and then there was a holdout and all this stuff. Like, it doesn't seem like that's on the horizon. Um, there's There's been some really good quotes from Larkin that would kind of make you feel positive as a fan that, you know, th- this is going to get done. Um, and so... Reportedly, uh, the Red Wings are trying to get him signed to a a longer term deal than the the two bridge deals that they had for Athanasiu and for Mantha. And supposedly, the Red Wings are looking for five years. And it's saying that Dylan Larkin, or the reporting is that Dylan Larkin wants six, which to me is is really interesting. So, 
All right. So, um, so for Larkin, uh, Mike, what do you, what are you looking at here? Like, like, how do you read this situation? Um, what do you think is going to happen? You know, like, what do you think the best, best case scenario, you know, reasonable uh, scenario is, uh, how do you think this plays out? Uh, I like that you said, how do I read this situation? Because I haven't read as much about this as a lot of other, um, you know, issues that are like, you know, going through the summer, uh, summer turnover of articles, just cause like, I'm not, I'm not worried about it. <laughs> um, you know, I, like you said, I'm not, I'm not at all concerned that like a deal doesn't get done or anything. Um, I guess in my mind, I'm, I'm foolishly thinking already that like, ah, oh, yeah, Dylan Larkin, he's the next captain. He's Red Wing for life. Um, which obviously like when you're a general manager, you can't, uh, you can't, you can't play with that, uh, that mindset. Um, so I guess what I, what I think maybe, I guess my idea of, of what might be happening is there might be a, uh, a difference in money that is also underlying the, uh, the year difference because, um, Dylan Larkin turns 22 at the end of this, uh, end of this month, um, on July 30th. Um, but which means at the end of a five-year deal, he would not quite be 27. End of a six-year deal, he would not quite be 28. Um, but from my understanding, that doesn't affect um, that doesn't affect his UFA versus RFA status because he'd already be a UFA because he's played X number of seasons. And contracts are not not exactly my wheelhouse um, as as part of my fandom, but. Uh, um, but yeah, I, I guess that my, I'm not overly concerned, but I, there's probably a, a money, a money discrepancy going on that maybe JJ can speak better to. Yeah. So JJ, what do you think about it? I, uh, it has to be a money discrepancy. Like, unless I'm like forgetting something or, or reading the, the CBA wrong or, or something, Dylan Larkin has three professional seasons under his belt. That's why his, that's why he's an RFA because the entry level contract was three years. So if he signs a five year deal, that will give him eight professional seasons at the expiry of that deal. The rule is that you have seven professional seasons accrued, or you turn twenty seven years of age, whichever comes first. So if he signs a five year deal, he's going to be a UFA. If he signs a six-year deal, he's going to be a UFA. I don't know why the team would say, hey, we want you to for five. Dylan Larkin would say, hey, I want six. And the team would go, uh, no, <laughs> unless there's a significant difference in in the AAV that they're asking for. Because if the team is going, if Holland says, hey, we want you for five at five, and Larkin is going, no, I want six at seven, then it makes sense. It's just not being reported like that. Literally all that's been reported is that all that's speculated essentially is that, you know, they're, they're one year apart, but with it, the, I guess the assumption there in the lack of how much, how many dollars apart they are, is that they're not that far apart on dollars either, but it doesn't make sense without that because it, I don't know. I can't make sense of why the Red Wings would not take a six-year deal over a five unless they're really concerned about what Dylan Larkin is going to cost or 
he's asking for um, some some lockout proofing on some bonuses or holding out because even then like the the no trade clause thing is he wouldn't be able on a five year deal he could act, he could literally sign a deal that's got a no trade clause that doesn't kick in until the very last year of that deal but he couldn't sign for a no trade clause that kicks in any sooner than that because you literally cannot have one before you are UFA eligible. Yeah. So I don't know. There's there's too many questions here that that I don't know more about to say for certain. But it just it doesn't make sense to me. Yeah, because I mean I was looking at um uh, at Matt Cain's free agent uh, prediction. So basically, he has a model that um that you know takes a lot of factors into account and basically spits out here's uh here's the most likely term uh and then here's the most likely aav at that term and then it'll you know it'll have you know if it's five years instead of six like here's the most likely thing and it's not always correct it's not always spot on but over the years it's it's pretty accurate most of the time like it like and and the thing is like if you're if you're hearing about this and you go look for it it's not saying what it's it's not saying what what it should be. It's saying what they think an NHL GM is going to pay this player. And so Dylan Larkin comes up as most likely six years at six point three. So I mean, I think that sounds to me that's pretty reasonable. If you're going to lock him up for six years, I mean that seems to be you know with with you know the comparable people like that and what we've seen from him so far, it seems to be a good a good idea. Um, so yeah, I, I guess it's going to be interesting to see when, you know, when that gets signed and obviously at that point, you know, it's going to be definite, which I mean, it, it kind of is definite now that there's going to be some, some type of move or moves made before the season starts, because, you know, if you're going to add him for anywhere around five and a half, six million dollars, then there's going to have to be some kind of move. So it's going to be interesting to see what happens with that. Uh, so who knows? Maybe by the next time we record that we will have the answer for you. Um, but speaking of moves, we got a really quick uh, quick one right here um, that Chris Chelios has left the organization uh, to move closer to his family, and he is now an ambassador for the Blackhawks. Uh, so you kind of already talked about this before in the comments, JJ, but like, what's, what's your problem with this? Cause I think I, I, cause I, I basically have the same thing. Like I didn't really have an issue with any of this until you kind of pointed something out. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Chelios leaving the Red Wings has been like the worst kept secret for a while. Like he, at some point, like you thought he might end up being uh, like a full behind the bench assistant coach. And he just kind of like faded into the background and like was, Super uninvolved with the team last year. And uh, finally we get the, the, okay, you want to move back home to be closer to your family. That's totally cool. Um, and honestly, it, uh, joining the Blackhawks as an ambassador makes sense. They're the local team. All he really has to do is kind of like show up to whichever games he feels like. And they'll say, oh, hey, Chris Chelios is here. And they'll pan to him and he'll wave for the Jumbotron and, and maybe shake some hands and be like, oh, I loved all my time here. And. You know, forget all the the nasty things I may have said because you know who you know who I was as a player. <laughs> uh, my only problem with the decision is that it like flat out disgusts me that the Blackhawks still keep trotting out Bobby Hull as an ambassador, and it disappoints me that Chris Chelios would agree to also be an ambassador while like 
known domestic abuser and Hitler had good idea sayer Bobby Hull is out there um, smiling and glad handing and, and doing basically the exact same role. So like it just kind of like grosses me out. Yeah. I mean, you know, like I said, I mean, at the time, like I, when he left, I, I figured that he was going to do something with the Blackhawks just because. I don't know. It just made sense. Uh, but, you know, like I was saying before, I didn't really think about it until you pointed that out. And then I definitely feel the same. Uh, Mike, did you have anything to add to uh, to that? No, I don't think so. <laughs> I think so. Yeah, I think JJ spoke passionately enough on that topic for yeah. for all of us. And I mean, I 100 percent agree. Yeah. All right. So uh, we're going to move on uh, before we get to uh, positivity quarter and reader questions. We have one more topic for you. Uh, so we're going to take a little uh, a quick look around the league. Um, so let's see. To do this, um, I'm going to go to each of you and then uh, tell me one storyline you're interested in outside of the Red Wings. And, you know, it could be anything. Um, it could be something that's happening right now. It could be like a question for the, you know, for next season or, or anything like that. And then, uh, after you two, I will, uh, I'll think of something. All right. So, uh, Mike, what, what, what NHL storyline are you most interested right now? Uh, you know, the, one of the nice things, uh, since the wings have been bad the past two years is that my local team, which is the wild, um, have been at least like a, a decent team. And, uh, you know, they brought in, um, the assistant general manager from Nashville, um, to be their new GM. I'm blanking on his name right now, but, um, yeah, just kind of, yeah, yeah. Pelton. Yeah. Um, just kind of some uninspiring moves and, you know, it's like, uh, you know, if the wings aren't going to be good, I at least want whatever local team I'm around to be good. And, uh, you know. So I guess that is the really the unexciting but made the really unexciting plot line that I am following this off season that has made even more unexciting because it's the Minnesota Wild. <laughs> it's like the Minnesota Meh. <laughs> <laughs> the, the Minnesota Mild. How, how could I miss that? It was right in front of me. Uh, um, yeah. Yeah. I'm, yeah. I'm sure I'm, I'm the first person to make that joke. I'm sure. Uh, in, the last, <laughs> in the last two seconds. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, it doesn't. It doesn't show up on Hockey Wilderness ever <laughs> yeah. by their by their own fans. <laughs> uh, JJ, what about you? Um, I'm really interested to see. Like, I'm going to cheat and kind of take two, but I'll I'll tie them together sure. in the concept of the future of where the defensemen are going to be. Okay. Um, not only did the Eric Carlson trade rumors just kind of fall off the face of the earth, but it also feels like the fallout of Jacob Truba going through arbitration and getting a one-year deal in Winnipeg, like has kind of, I don't know. I figured that would set more fire to the, like the idea, like how much longer is Jacob Truba going to be a Winnipeg jet? Um, like, is it, is it to the point where he's just not good enough for people to care that much? Like, I, I feel like it's a bigger deal than, than has been made of it. But also, I guess I've, I don't know. Maybe I, I had the pulse of uh, my finger off the pulse of, of hockey talk for a while while I was on vacation. No, I uh, don't think you're wrong. Ago, so. I don't think you're wrong but, at all. Yeah. Yeah. Like I was, I was all in on like trying to get through, but I, I still like would be in favor of it. 
Um, I think he's a good defenseman. I I could be wrong on that because I'm bad at analytics now too. <laughs> I've just gotten some, I'm a terrible hockey fan. But yeah, it, it feels like yeah, like it's it's not a big deal to to anybody that that they actually went through an arbitration hearing. They had it. It, it like something got awarded and that's like a, a dead death kiss. Like the, 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 he's on his last, his last year now, basically. Right. Yeah. I mean, I remember how we felt last year when, when Tatar went through the hearing, you know, it was like, you know, what's what's that mean for his future? I think. Uh, and, and, and by the way, I think you could definitely make a very good argument that he's, He's the best defenseman on Winnipeg on the right side now, because um, for a while he was behind. Who is he behind? I mean, Bufflin, Tyler Myers, is that the guy? Yeah, and um, I know that was like the big thing is like he he wanted a chance to be more than the third pairing defenseman because he thought, and I think quite right, you know, quite rightfully that he was. And yeah, I mean, I, I totally agree. And actually, that was that was that was my first choice for for the storyline I'm interested in. So. Um, I think that's a good one. I'm gonna I'm gonna do something similar, and I'm gonna talk about uh, the Artemi Panarin um, situation, where it's gonna be really interesting because he's he's 29. Um, oh wait, no, no, he's not 29. I'm sorry, I was looking at the wrong thing. Uh, Bobrovsky's 29. They were talking about the two of them together. But you know, Panarin's um, definitely got a lot of really good hockey in him. He is a, pretty much without a doubt an elite forward in this league, <laughs> and. It, it seems like he doesn't want to play for Columbus uh, after after this season. So it's going to be another situation like we've seen so far <laughs> with you have a guy who you think you're like you're not sure if he is going to stay. Um, you know, we saw what happened with with the Tavares situation where there's there's all these you know, all these different people saying all these different things. And it's kind of hard to, to, to really piece together what, what is true with the Tavera situation. But looking back on it, you know, with, with with 2020 hindsight, it's pretty clear that the Islanders missed out by not getting something for, you know, an elite level player. Um, so it's going to be really interesting to see what happens here with, uh, with Panarin, where he ends up, um, if there's a if there's a chance to keep him, because obviously Columbus would want to do that, but uh, if you're gonna if you're gonna end up losing him, when do you tra- you know do you trade him now? Do you you know trade him now and then give the other team you know a full year with him and then hopefully a step up on signing him to extension? So yeah, I, mean, I think uh, even though we are uh, you know we're kind of in the middle of summer and there's not a ton going on, there's there's still, you know still some things going on. Actually, yeah. Uh... Pete, if I could speak to that, because yeah. uh, that's actually the the thing that I should have said was about uh, um, Panarin, um, because uh, um, I read an, an article on the Athletic recently about um, uh, Panarin's contract situation with Columbus, and that essentially um, boiled down to his agent, the legendary Dan Milstein, um, <laughs> saying that. Uh, that if Panarin and uh, Cake Lyon and the GM of uh, of the Columbus Blue Jackets wanted to get a deal done, they could. And he essentially said it's not that, um, you know, Panarin dislikes the fans in Columbus or that uh, he dislikes the Blue Jackets organization. 
it comes down to a question of does Panarin want to live the next eight years in Columbus, mm. which mm. is like that seems to be the sticking point because I think yeah. you know like didn't he kind of go out of his way to say it's not the team, it's not the players, it's not the coach, it's Columbus basically. Yeah, and like. God, like to say that publicly, like yeah. what a fuck you to a city that <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, you're just <laughs> like, so he, he wants to go play for like New York or LA or Toronto, I guess. <laughs> like yeah. I, as an insecure Midwesterner, it made me mad <laughs> <laughs> to like to hear someone say that essentially like this is not what I envisioned when I came to the United States to play hockey was living in Columbus, Ohio. <laughs> so. oh, man. Yeah, actually, I, I'm outright. I'm uh, out uh, outmanned here in terms of uh, Midwestern to non Midwesterners. <laughs> a good old. Yankee. I love it, though. Fuck <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's it's funny because it's Columbus. <laughs> Speaking for my glass house, call it a flyover shithole. <laughs> no, that's not nice. It's I don't know. It's full of Ohioans. That's the problem. Mm. Ohioans. Yeah. Ohioans. I don't know. Apparently, they Ohio just need students. to build like a bigger body of water near near Columbus or. <laughs> they better get on that. They, they only got a year. Um, all right. So uh, before we move on to reader questions, we have positivity corner. So JJ, what is on your list of uh, things for positivity corner? Zadina, 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 Zadina. <laughs> That's all I got. For there you go. Really stoked for that kid. I, I will allow it. I will allow it. I think it's good. Uh, Mike, what about you? Um. Yeah, I think that uh, I'm already excited for the next off season, which is terrible, but um, but I'm excited to see which you know the Wings will be in a in a better cap situation next off season than they've been in a while, and uh, we've kind of passed the window where the Wings can really draft a defenseman who is going to be in his prime at the same time as, you know, Dylan Larkin and friends. Um, so they're going, Holland is going to have to, uh, to do something wild next summer um, to, you know, with, with free agency and a defenseman. Um, and I just had that realization this week. And so that, uh, you know, that gets me excited and is one more thing to help me get through what will probably be another tough season. Yeah, most likely. <laughs> Hopefully a little bit better than last year, because by the end, oh, my God, by the end, it was just like brutal. Um, yeah. But um, all right, mine, I'm going to I'm going to do a little self-promotion, but I, I kind of feel like I have to. So um if if you listen to our other our other uh podcasts on here uh for sure i uh i brought back a one of my favorite ideas that i never really felt i got right um which was pucktails and it's one of those things where if you like write or create or something it's like every now and then you have something in your head that you're like i really 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 want to do this and i want to get it right and you are so happy with how it came out that like everybody else could tell you it was terrible and you would be okay with that. Um, so 
I was really happy with with that segment uh, coming back. So I'm really hoping that it, we can we can kind of keep that up in the future. Um, so if, if you haven't had a chance to listen to it, please listen to it because out of all the stuff I've done in the last few years, it's probably at least close to the proudest I've been of something. So obviously a good feeling. So um, so that's definitely positive and that's definitely cool. So. Um, without further ado, we have reader questions, and I, as always, am going to toss it to our reader questionnaire, JJ. All right, I'll go ahead and catch it and get off running. We've uh, kind of a, a light mailbag, which is, is fine. Makes right. it easier to carry. <laughs> so we'll start off with uh, Larkanic and Skywalker saying, will Cholo's chili work? Any other rebranding ideas? I really like that question. Yeah. What do you think, Peter? Cholo's chili. Eh, I, I I I I think it works. I'm trying to think of uh, uh, Hickett's chicklets. <laughs> I was gonna say Hickett's rickets, but that sounds terrible. Uh, that yeah, is definitely not something you want to promote. Um, hmm. That's a good. I really like that question. Um, I don't know. I I, I kind of skipped over it when I was reading before. I don't know how. That's a good one. Um, uh, well, I'm thinking, Mike. You got any? Uh, Hronik or Hickett's uh, hamburger soup. Okay. Hamburger soup. I like that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if you got to keep it, if you got to keep it chili, then I think Cholo's chili is the, like, literally the only one that makes it. Like, Kenneth Skywalker nailed it there. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, if you're going to, like, branch out, I, I kind of like Cholo's churros. Mm, that's a good one. Glenn Denning's Glenn Fittick. Rasmuff, Rasmuff, Rasmussen's brand muffins? No, that's horrible. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, I think you got it. I was trying to Advocators. think of a better than brand, like, because that's just not very inspiring. Advocators, taters. Yeah. <laughs> hmm. yeah. yeah. No, I, I think just make it, make it Cholo's chili. That's, that's yeah. just the best. So. Uh, Datsuki and Freecast uh, a question for me, so I'll I'll take this one. If you put a Datsuki and a Fedorov jersey in JJ's closet, which goes in the rafters of his home first, uh, I will tell you that I have both of those jerseys in my closet, and the one I have worn most recently is the Fedorov. Hmm. Now, part of that is because I've owned the Fedorov since I was in high school, and I'm still kind of stupidly proud that I have recently gotten back to the point where I can put it back on. Uh, the sleeves are a little short, but it actually fits me. And the Datsuk jersey uh, is quite tentish on me. Um, but the personal opinion, like even if they were the perfect fit, same size, is I would honestly happily wear a Fedorov jersey out in public, and I'm still not comfortable putting the Datsuk jersey on. Like, I just don't feel like it so uh if i have to put one of them in the rafters of my own house it would be Fedorov over datsu yeah but i want to give you guys the opportunity to answer the same question for yourselves as well what do you think mike um go with Fedorov. um just that datsu doesn't have the like the mythical childhood place that Fedorov does of, uh, you know, Fedorov was like as good as a superhero when I was a little kid. And, and, you know, Datsuk was just 
a, a really good hockey player that got to experience as a young adult. So huh. I'm, I'm going to cheat and I'm going to say Datsu because that's the only one out of the two that I own. So there we go. Fair enough. Yeah. All right. Uh, MD Road 12 says, I know this debate has happened already, but should Henrik Zetterberg's jersey be retired if he decides to retire because of his back issues? So I guess, it, like, is that asking, like, would that be a disqualifying factor for us? Uh, read it however you feel. Hmm. Just give us your reasoning for how you feel that way. All right, I, I can take this. The the one thing I've I've realized the last was it like week or so was it was it a week or so we had the article about Fedorov Fedorov's jersey being retired potentially, and then then obviously yeah. you had your article and, and yeah. One thing I realized about this is that I really seem to not care as much as other people do about jerseys being retired. Like I'm not saying I don't care at all. I'm not saying like I think it's like a dumb question because that's that's not it at all, but. I just, I don't know. I just don't really have a strong feeling either way. Like, it doesn't make that much of a difference to me, I guess. But what I will say is, for me, that if he, what you know, if, like, you know, let's say this season he goes on LTIR and, you know, the next, was it, two seasons he has left, he does the same. For me, that would not be a disqualifying thing. Because I think it's it's pretty clear from what we know just how bad his back is and i like i don't think he would be i don't think you can look at that as like abandoning the team in in, in my opinion mike yeah i i agree with that i don't i don't think that the back issues um thing it makes a difference to me i i think that I don't know. I'm. I really don't know if he should. If Zetterberg's number should be retired or not. If uh, if they won the cup in '09, I think I'd have a lot stronger opinion in the affirmative for that. Um, not to say that that's like the one linchpin moment of his career or anything. Um, but uh, I kind of like Pete, I don't care as much about retired numbers, but I, I would feel weird seeing someone else wearing number 40 too soon. Like, I, I, I think I will need, like, at least 10 years after Zetterberg retires before I can uh, before I can see someone wearing number 40 again for the Red Wings. Yeah, it's, it's such a weird consideration for me, because I think that, like, right now where I lean is regardless of whether he retires because of back issues, I would not retire his jersey. But I don't know, like, because essentially my standard is if there's a doubt in my mind, like if somebody could, like, if somebody can say, no, I don't think so, and come up with a reason that doesn't, like, make me think, well, you're stupid, <laughs> then that's the end of the debate. It's, uh, you've got a valid point, so yeah, no, he shouldn't go up there. Like, if after Lidstrom retired, somebody had said, oh, I don't think Lidstrom's jersey should be retired for blah, 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 my immediate knee-jerk response would have been, no, you're fucking stupid. I don't value your opinion at all. Shut up. Never talk to me again. <laughs> uh, same with Steve Eiserman. Like, there was, like, not a single doubt. And I think the, the, the concept is, like, there's only, like, there's room for doubt with Zetterberg for me. So that's, that's a no for it. Um, 
I will say the concept of him retiring due to back issues, like retiring versus long-term injury reserve retiring would make a huge difference between a, I'm not going to be sad if they retire his jersey, but I'm, yeah, I would be angry if, if he like flat out retires. Oh, sure. Instead of yeah, yeah. retirement. Oh, yeah, I'd feel the um, same way, yeah. And yeah, and then the, the difference between going that route is basically... And going back to the Datsuk thing is Datsuk went to go play professional hockey somewhere else. Like, I know, like, oh, he went home. He went, like, he made millions of dollars. He left to go play in another high-end league. He didn't leave to go play shinny with the boys. Um, (laughs) So if Zetterberg, like, cannot go because of his back and he is, like, done playing hockey like he gave everything to the red wings then yeah that's a significantly different consideration for me in in terms of um the completely illogical fan in me uh, being able to forgive or forget or or any of that crap so uh let's see big text d304 says funky cold zadina God help me, I'm buying into the summer hype. Will the Wings be a surprise playoff team this year? Or should we still expect another lottery pick, Mike? Um, I, I wrote uh, at one point earlier during the playoffs about uh, the Winnipeg Jets having this. They didn't have like a one like really. They didn't have a uh, um, perennial Norris candidate um, on their uh, defensive core but they were kind of winning by committee and the wings blue line right now is the opposite of that where they're all they're losing by committee. They're all, they're all bad by committee. <laughs> and, um, I, I think you're going to have a very hard time being a surprise playoff team with, uh, with the current, uh, defensive pairings um and i think even if you know there's a couple injuries and we have some young players come in they're they're not going to be the the miracle that uh that we're hoping for um or would hope they would be perhaps and uh yeah i i think that the this team is just too weak on the back and despite like despite how many goals we can score. I think the wings, you know, we could see a lot of like five to four losses and stuff like that, but I, I fully expect them to be in the lottery next, next spring. Yeah, I'd, I'd be very surprised if we made the playoffs. Wow. Scoring four goals a game. That'd be so cool to see. <laughs> <laughs> I just don't want any more two to one losses. This is a, Boring. Uh, I'm gonna ten to one losses. That's worth that. Yeah, there we go. I'm gonna <laughs> d- d- disagree with you both. I think that the Red Wings were not as bad as their record was last year. I don't think that it would take a large amount of improvement for them to make noise. I don't think that they're going to be a playoff contender. Uh, I don't want them to be a surprise playoff team. I don't want them to limp. What I'm hoping for is that. Um, 
either everything comes together in a super dumb magical Hollywood way and they literally are a contender and they win the cup because that would be really cool or they're a good enough team to where the blue line is is coming along and they essentially get let down by their goalie by their goaltending all year uh, much like what kind of happened with the Winnipeg Jets in the year prior to like it kind of let them hide a lot of improvement and it got them a, a really nice draft pick too um, that's that's kind of what I'm going for like I want them to be a, a good lottery team that like gets let, gets crushed by one of their weaknesses that's basically the easiest one to fix and that's in goal if it's going to end up being their blue line then okay too. i guess that's okay too because like like we've already talked about cronwell is probably done after this year and a lot of other stuff has kind of fallen apart and there'll be room to change the blue line pretty drastically after this season as well so that's i don't know i i, I think that they could be a surprise playoff team i'm just not I don't want them to be mostly. Let's see. ENSRW wants to know, what do you think the top two lines will look like at the start of the season? And what do you think they'll look like by the end of the season, Peter? Oh, great. Uh, let's, let's see. I, I, I forget who, I always forget who plays on what side that, that always messes me up. Um, is, wait, Zadina, is he a left wing or right wing? Do, do you remember? I know he's a winger. I just forget. Tends to play on the left. He plays on the left. Okay. Um, sorry, I'm trying. Let's see. All right. With what we have right now, I'm gonna say. Let's see. Okay. I'm gonna say we will start with Larkin centering Zadina and Mantha. And, and that'll be the top line. And then the second line would be Zetterberg centering Nyquist and Bertuzzi. I like it. It's bold. Yeah. Mike? Um, yeah, at the beginning of the season, um, Larkin will have Mantha and... That's actually the harder one. Um, I'm going to say Larkin and... Larkin will be centering Mantha and... Uh, We'll say Rasmussen, because, uh, you know, that third line has to have Vanek and AA on the wings. Um, and then the uh, the top line will be the same as last year with Zetterberg and uh, Nyquist and uh, Bertuzzi on his flanks. I've got kind of the hybrid of you two. I've got Nyquist with Zetterberg and Zadina. And then I agree with the Rasmussen, Larkin, Mantha. I think that's going to be the first uh, nine games of the season. And then I think Zadina is going to spend most of the season in the AHL and just be replaced by Bertuzzi there. Yeah. And then by the end of the season, I think Nyquist is moved out. Um, and it's either going to be Athanasiu up there because Vanek has also been moved out by the end of the season. And so he's now kind of an orphan scoring winger. Or it'll be just an advocator back there and we'll all just clot our eyes. 
Our sizzle wants to know. Hypothetically, if Zetterberg decided he could last one more season but wanted to go play his last season for a team other than the terrible wings, what is the one team you could never forgive him for wanting to go to? All 30 other teams. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> I'd never forgive him for doing any team. Like, I'd be the most mad about probably Toronto at this point, but, like, yeah. Any, literally any other team. Fuck you for that. Yep. Like I would like it, it. Do it great. I don't. I don't blame you for wanting to do it, but yeah, I don't have to like you for wanting to do it either. It'd tear my heart out. <laughs> oh God, the yeah. If you went to Toronto, like that'd be the most miserable media like frenzy of like you know reuniting with Babcock or. You know, that'd be the hilarious part too, cause considering <laughs> all the talk that like Zetterberg hated Babcock. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Wingsfan sixty nine wants to know about literally something we wrote about in the rundown. So I just want to point out, like, read the rundown before you ask questions. That's really annoying. And we're not answering it because we already have in this episode. Yeah. Uh, Lark Reza Kaiser. Cool name. Mm. Uh, Vets versus youth. It seems to be one of the dominating themes since it's been acknowledged that the team needs a rebuild. We'll see Hull and sign UFAs like Green and bring back Bannock. Uh, here in the comment section, as loyal readers commonly gnash our teeth and wail to play the kid. There's a question here, I promise. And wail to the kids uh, to play over any vet. To me, yeah, if you have a known quantity, like some of the more mediocre vets we have, playing the kids with CA seemed to be a good, exciting idea. Just to change things up to see if we can get better results. My question, though, to each of you, what would be a good race, ratio of youth versus vets on the current Wings team and why? To take that thought, train just another step further, which particular vets would be better to mentor the young guys than others? Who wants to take this one first? I mean, we kind of already talked about on defense, right? So, yeah, you know, two, maybe three young guys. Again, again, depending on the situation. Um, Like, I do think on the defensive side, I do think Cronwall is going to be a good mentor. Uh, I do think Green um, and, you know, somebody who kind of gets forgotten about is, is Trevor Daly. I mean, he's not anywhere close to the player he used to be, but I do think he seems to be like a, a guy that would be a good mentor there. Um, and then on the forward side, in terms of mentors, I think Nielsen is definitely way up there. Obviously Zetterberg. Uh, I mean, those are the two that jump out to me right away. Um, and I don't know. I mean, I think like the same, I mean, it depends on what we're talking about youth. Like does Tyler Bertuzzi count as youth? Like, like you know, that's, or are we yeah. just counting somebody who hasn't been on the team before? I mean, I pretty much fully expect that the most we're going to get at forward is going to be Zadina and Rasmussen, um, at least to start the year. And then maybe by the end of the year, we probably have, you know, maybe another guy up. You know, I don't think it's going to be like there's going to be six more. You know, that just doesn't make a lot of sense. So um, and, and, and I think that would be a good mix. Like, I don't think that would be too many. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, I agree that um, 
Zadina and Rasmussen, I think, are the only uh, the only two forwards that I would want um, up for you know the the lion's share of the year. I. Uh, you know, and then if other young players come in and do spot duty, um, you know, if Glenn Dunning or Abdelkader uh, suffers an injury and, you know, Dominic Turgeon, like, gets an opportunity, that's great. Um, but, yeah, I I wouldn't want I wouldn't want more than the two of them. Um, and we talked about on defense. Um, and then goalies is like a pretty much a non-issue, like, that is going to be Howard and Bernier and um, you know, if, uh, if not, then we'll call someone else up and probably lose a bunch of games. So if, if one of those goalies gets injured, so. Yeah, I agree with, with Pete in regards to the, the defensive mentoring aspect uh, in terms of the forwards, uh, Zetterberg is obviously the most important mentor to me. Uh, I like the concept of Vanek mentoring. Um, you know, these are guys that, that know how to score and, and know how to get it done and, and put in the work for it. Um, in terms of, like, the lower key mentors, it, we're, we're kind of stuck with, like, Abdelkader, Helm, and Glendening are all basically the same type of mentor, uh, except I really, like, I rank Abdelkader well below both of the other two. Hmm. Um, just because Ablocator makes more stupid mistakes, and he does, yeah. he lets his his um his passion get the better of him too much. Like, and I know that like that that a lot of people like, oh yeah, he's he's firing up the team, and you know I don't think just taking stupid penalties. Uh, whereas Glendening, I think I would give him the edge over Helm. In terms of, you got to have a, a a veteran down there who is going to help out the kids in the. Listen, I know that I'm not the most talented guy. I don't have the talent that that you you have, but I'm in this league because I've got the tricks and I've got the work ethic that that's necessary. And Helm's got that too, but I think that uh, that Glenn Denning maybe even has a little bit more than Helm. So I'd be okay with like I two of those three essentially being mentors, knowing full well that, that it we're gonna consistently get three of three of those three in the lineup. Um but yeah, I think that it 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 does kind of point out how like how much the Evgeny Svechnikov stock has fallen that we're not really considering him is is having to have a shot right now so yeah but i mean i i think he could definitely have a bounce back here and then be kind of back in the conversation halfway through the yeah year. He, he's yeah. definitely got more to more to prove yeah. and that's that's kind of the the disappointing part is that he we would like it if he didn't have it but yeah i, I don't mind him having to essentially re-earn another opportunity yeah yeah agreed Okay, closing out with uh, Case Denji. Suppose things go south quickly and Blashill gets canned. What are some immediate changes you would expect to see from this team with Bilesma as the new head coach? More hair. <laughs> In glasses. Good answer. 
I mean, like, I, I, I don't know enough about how, like, Biosma's, like, systems. You know what I mean? Like, I think... I mean, he, he kind of has a track record of at least being a pretty good coach. Um, you know, he did, did good with Pittsburgh, but uh, I don't really know, like, how he would... You know, like, like, like that's the question. Like, I'm not saying it's a bad question. I'm just saying, like, I would have to... I would have to do more research on, you know, Biosma systems before I could really come up with a good non-joke answer for that. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, I think the other side of, or my other thought on that is that, like, I don't think Blashill is getting canned. I think, I think that as long as the, um, players who are deemed to be part of the core of the future going forward, as long as those guys are showing improvement and are still responding well to Blashill, I think he has a job. Um, I, I see the wings having an approach with Jeff Blashill, kind of like Carolina had with Bill Peters, where like they're, they're willing to give him like a lot of rope to help the team improve. And, you know, where, Bill Peters fell short was not that like the team was bad. It was that the team kind of, it was supposed to have turned a corner and then they kind of went sideways. I mean, for, they never uh, got goaltending. Like, yeah. That was the problem. I mean, that was, I mean, not that that was the only problem, but it was pretty much the, the huge problem. Yeah. So I, I, that's what I kind of, my immediate reaction to, to that is that I don't think Blashill is going to get canned basically no matter how bad uh, the wings are in the early going. Um, unless like there's serious regression from, you know, the key, key components of the future. Yeah. I would expect in course that the team would win more in the short run because that's what teams tend to do when they fire their coach early on and replace him with literally anybody. Um, I do expect that they would get to be a little bit more of an aggressively forechecking team because that's what I remember about Bilesma. But yeah, it's been so long since I've paid attention to Bilesma's systems that I, I can't tell you confidently like how he really differs. Yeah, um, and he's had a lot of years out of the league, or not a lot of years, but he has had some time out of the league too to... I'm sure whenever he gets his next head coaching position, if that ends up happening, that his system will be, you know, fundamentally changed from what it once was. Sorry. Yeah. So, all right, that wraps it up for the the reader questions. I'm going to go ahead and hand this hot potato back off to Peter to Ooh. get us out of here. All right. All right, so um, yeah, th- so thank you to everyone for uh, listening to another episode. Uh, we'll be back at you uh, pretty soon. Um, and if you listen to uh, for sure, which is our other podcast, I I, I have to. I, I'm still waiting on official confirmation, but um, there's there's uh, a really good chance that there, our next episode is going to be pretty special. So um, you know, keep your eye out for that one. And then obviously we'll be back at you in the near future with another episode of winging it in Motown radio. Um, so uh, before we close it out, any last hockey related thoughts? No, nah, I got nothing. No. Have a good night.
Cool. Yeah. <laughs> or or uh, morning, or you know, because you know, if you're yeah. driving into work listening to this, so we don't want anybody, uh, you know, falling asleep and crashing. That'd be horrible. Yeah. Please don't crash. Yeah, please. Yeah, it's, that's our, our last thought for the evening. Just, <laughs> just don't, just don't crash. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Stay safe. Stay safe out there. <laughs> crash, crash nuts, not cars. <laughs> yeah. All right. So we'll see you next time.